Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, and about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you will eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows you have need of them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your God's good pleasure, your Father's good pleasure, to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of the Lord. Well, let's pray as we begin after that beautiful reading. Thank you, Ramona. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this morning, we begin a new series for the month of November. It's called God and Money. Uh, in the weeks to come, we're actually going to study what the Bible has to say about money and, and talk about our relationship to money as people of faith. Now, I know that two sentences into this sermon, some of you are already wary of this. <laughs> we're pretty buttoned up, really, uh, when it comes to money in our American society. We treat money as a, as a fairly taboo subject compared to the rest of the world. And it may seem a bit awkward to focus on money in church of all places. 
According to church sociologists, one of the primary reasons that people have negative views toward the church is the perception that the church is constantly asking for money. So for those of you who are concerned about that this morning, have no fear. This is not the point of this morning nor of this series. You will not be handed an invoice on the way out today. There's no heavy-handedness here. Issues like giving will certainly come up uh, today and in the next few weeks, but not in a self-serving way. No, the reason that we choose to spend time talking about the topic of money for the next three weeks is because we're not bashful to talk about these things because I believe that our wallets, our bank accounts are an issue of discipleship for us. They are a unique indicator of the fitness of our walk with Jesus Christ. Money is really a, a, a crazy thing when you think about it. It's simply a medium of exchange that our society assigns a value to. Money has very little intrinsic value on its own. It's just a coin. It's just a, a piece of paper. It's just a, a, a check that you write some numbers on. It's just some, some code in a bank account. Its value is really determined by what you can get from it. So for most people, money is simply something that you need to survive, right? For others, money is something that needs to be put to work on a constant basis or it goes away. It's really amazing that something so trivial, so relative really, could play such a big role in our everyday lives. I'll never forget uh, packing up my possessions a few weeks before moving from St. Paul down here to Chicago to get married to my beautiful wife and, and to begin our new life on the north side of the city. My dad was helping me get ready, packing some boxes in the garage, and I think he, he recognized that time was fleeting, so he was trying to pack in as many fatherly teaching moments as possible. In hindsight, I think he was probably a little nervous about uh, how in the world I was going to make money and make sure that Katie and I could eat food and things like that. So he talked quite a bit about finances and work. He walked me through budgets, and he walked me through paying bills and, 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 and the whole thing. But he said something that really st stuck with me, and it stuck with me till today. He said, you know, Lars, I know that money, at least for me and, and, and the people that, that I interact with, it's the easiest thing to obsess about in this life. Whether you have money or you don't have money, it can just own you. So the key to happiness is to get to a place where you don't obsess about money, whether you have it or you don't have it. Great advice, right? And I found this to be exceedingly true. Money is an issue for all of us at some point, and for most of us, it is a constant problem, <laughs> whether we have it or we don't have it. And when things are a problem, we as people of faith in Jesus, we turn to the Bible for wisdom and guidance. And as it turns out, the Bible has an awful lot to say about money. In fact, money is one of the most referenced topics in Scripture. Money and possessions are referenced over 2,300 times in Scripture. Jesus himself talks about money more than he talks about love, more than he talks about heaven, more than he talks about hell. In fact, one out of every 10 verses in the gospel deals directly with money or possessions. It's almost as if the biblical authors knew that money was a big problem for everybody. 
So my task today is to share what the Bible has to say about money to lay the groundwork for the weeks ahead. So if I can condense the the Bible's view of money into just a a couple simple truths, I'd condense it down into these two simple sentences. The first is this. Love of money is so easy, and it's so destructive in our lives. It's so easy for us to love money, and it's so easy for that to be destructive in our lives. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that love of money is the root of all evil. We see King Solomon, who's referenced in our text today from, from the Sermon on the Mount. We see his obsession with wealth leading him to all sorts of sin and unfaithfulness in his life and ultimately his downfall. Jesus confronts the, the rich young ruler and asks him to, to drop his wealth and to follow him. And in one of the most tragic stories, one of the most tragic responses in all of Scripture, we watch this man walk away from Jesus Christ who is standing right in front of him because he loved money more than Jesus. The scripture witness tells us that love of money is a destructive and dangerous love and it will lead to ruin in our lives. So that's the first thing that the Bible has to say about money. The second is it's way too easy for us to replace Jesus as our master and make money our master instead. Jesus himself teaches that you cannot love both God and money, there's not enough room for both of those things. Money has a unique allure for us, and it can wield a great deal of power over us in many areas of our lives. So it's clear that God will not share the throne of our lives with money. So we must choose who our master is going to be. So those are two simple truths, and and in other words, if we're not extremely careful, money is going to be a problem for us. Money's going to be a problem for us. And that's really what our text is about this morning, the problem of money. I find it really interesting that Jesus addresses the problem of money, but he doesn't name it as a lack of discipline, or we don't know how to budget things, or we haven't adjusted well for inflation, or we haven't, uh, we, we haven't addressed the debts in our lives. No, the problem of money, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 6, is our tendency to worry about it. That's the problem with money, is we worry, we obsess. Before this passage that was read for us, Jesus relays the parable of the rich fool. And the moral of this parable is is not to store up riches for yourself in order to, to bless ourselves, because if we do so, we fail to be rich to God. So Jesus' response in this text is so beautiful. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you're going to eat, about your body, what you're going to wear. Instead of worrying, striving for these things, Jesus says in verse 31, instead, strive for the kingdom of God, God's kingdom. And all of these things that you're worrying about, they'll be added unto you. You don't have to worry about them. They'll be added unto you. This is essentially what my dad said to me in the garage that day. Money is so easy to obsess about whether we have it or we don't have it. Jesus says, don't obsess about it. Don't worry. But seek God's kingdom instead. There's a lot in this text for us to glean. And we need to hear these words from Jesus about our relationship with money this morning. But before we dive a little deeper into it, 
we need to recognize our tendency to read our, our current situation in 2018 back into the Bible. But the Bible was a very different world. The biblical world is very different than ours. And so was the concept of money. So I just want to point out a few things before we go back to this text um, that are important for you to know. The first is this. Our concept of money today is really quite different than that of the biblical world. We're not talking about the exact same thing when we talk about money. When we think of money, we, we often think of, of cash in our wallets or the balance in our bank accounts or the fitness of our portfolio. But the biblical world really worked in a very different way. For the entire Old Testament and much of the New Testament, money wasn't primarily monetary. It was domestically localized, meaning your money was your crop. It was your animals. Um, it was your goods and services that you could provide. It was your labor. That was your currency. That was your money. This is a bartering culture that we're talking about in the biblical world. It was essentially subs uh, uh, subsistence living. So if, if, if they had extra of something, they'd find somebody who had extra of something different, and they would make a trade. They would make a change with one another. Your currency was something that you yourself grew or, or you raised or you made. Now, obviously... There are limits to uh, bartering culture, right? Which is why we see coins and, and, and money uh, in, in Scripture from time to time, a unified currency which made trade more accessible, made it far easier for merchants who were traveling to do their business without having to bring their entire crop with them. And that brings me to the next difference, which is cash wasn't a neutral thing back then. We kind of think of cash as something fairly neutral, right? A, a dollar is a dollar, a quarter is always 25 cents. Well, cash had a really different connotation in the ancient world. Cash, uh, the, the value of cash fluctuated wildly based on whoever was weighing it and how they were doling it out for goods and services or uh, exchanging it from a foreign currency. So for this reason, when the Bible talks about money or cash in the way that we think about it, it's almost universally uh, tied to ideas of, of greed and injustice in the Bible. Because most of the time, when we read about cash in, in Scripture, it's about unjust taxes. It's being taxed unjustly. It's been people using other people. So in this bartering culture, cash was, was really primarily for paying taxes, which was often unjust and, and predatory. The last thing is that the Roman world used money to wield power. Money was power, and it still is in many ways today. But in the Roman world, money was only lent or, or given or floated in order to make somebody highly indebted to you. There wasn't really any philanthropy in the Roman world. If you gave money or, or you helped somebody out financially, it was a way for you to climb socially, to make other people subservient to you, to wield power and influence over other people. So the entire Roman economy was really centered around the volume of obligation for repayment. So when we look at these, these three ancient realities, we see that money in the ancient world was, was complicated, it was dangerous, it was, it was cutthroat. It was, it was a highly suspect business, the business of money. And it's understandable that Jesus would speak so much to the realities of money in our lives. So many of his listeners had very little money. They were living day to day off their ability to, to barter and survive, both sacred and secular taxation. These people had a lot to worry about in terms of money. But Jesus regularly spoke to 
tax collectors, the ruling elite, and the wealthy, and he warned them with sharp words. Do you see that Jesus shows whether we have money or we don't have money, we tend to obsess and worry about it. And it's into these realities that Jesus says, don't worry about money. Don't worry. Look at verses 32 through 34 in Luke 12. Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock. Isn't that beautiful? Don't be afraid, little flock. For it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the climax of of Jesus' teaching on money and possessions, the call not to worry. And how do we accomplish this? How do we keep ourselves from obsessing or worrying about this thing that is so um, in the forefront of our lives? Jesus answers, we sell our possessions and we give alms. We store up our treasures in Jesus rather than in our bank accounts. This is really a fascinating turn and, and while I'm quite certain that, that Jesus would be a proponent of fiscal responsibility and budgets and setting aside money and a savings account, that's not where he goes here. That's not his solution for the worry that we so often have. Instead, he says, don't worry or obsess about money. Whether you have it, whether you don't have it, give it away. Give it to others. And when you do this, your treasure is in the right place. In your heart, not in your wallet. Let me unpack this a little bit. The word alms that's here actually harkens back to two different Old Testament offering practices. The first one is almsgiving or alms, where one would designate a portion of their crop for the poor. A portion of any choice crop would be left untouched so that the local poor could come and could glean that crop and and be fed and cared for. It wasn't the scraps that were left over. It was a good portion of those crops. So by the time of the New Testament, almsgiving had turned into an offering that was collected for the poor and and distributed to them as needs arose. So Jesus, in the midst of a Roman culture, is saying, give away a portion of something that can never be repaid to you for those who can never help your status and those who you cannot consider to be indebted to you. That's pretty radical, countercultural stuff that Jesus is saying. But let me take it a step further. The language of alms actually hints at a second kind of offering. So in that choice crop, some of which was left as an alm offering for the poor, there was another portion of that choice crop that was actually brought to the temple. In fact, this choice crop was brought to the temple before any of the other harvesting could happen. This offering was called the offering of first fruits. And there was a feast to celebrate first fruits. You would bring the very, very best of your crop when it was time to harvest. And then then you would bring that crop to the temple. Grains, animals, fruits. And it would be burned on the altar as a sacrifice to God. And then once the feast of first fruits was over, you would return to your home to begin the real harvest, leaving a portion of the best behind for an alms offering for the poor. So these first fruit offerings ensured that God was getting the very best of that crop, was getting the very, very best, the most intentional, a gift from from his people rather than them treasuring the very best for themselves. 
There is no law of first fruits or alms in the New Testament as that sacrificial system gets dissolved, but the spirit of these offerings remains in Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12, which was read for us. I hear Jesus saying, don't worry about money. God is going to take care of you. So treasure God by giving him your very best and then set aside the rest of the best for those people who need it. And as for the rest of whatever's left over of that, of that crop of, of, of what you've produced, use it responsibly and don't obsess or worry over it. So when I think about what the Bible says of money, I think that is like such a perfect condensation of, of what the Bible says. So what does this mean for us practically? Well, it means for me that an antidote to the allure of money, which I'm given to, I hope I'm not the only person in, in this building who feels that way. In our family, we should prioritize giving to God and, and his work in the world. When we set out our, our budget and, and review it from time to time, that's actually purposely the very first thing in our budget. Before anything else, we are presenting a, a portion of what we have to God as a first fruit offering. This first fruit for us goes to, goes to the church. It goes to missions work around the world. The next thing in our budget is, uh, is our alms. It's our giving to the poor, both around the world and, and hopefully close to home as well. This is our intentional alms giving. The rest of it, the rest of that budget, is for us to hold on to loosely <laughs> and to try not to worry about making sure that it doesn't become a master over us. You see, we desire to place our finances under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We desire to follow Jesus with our bank accounts and with our wallets. I believe that when we seek God's wisdom in terms of our money, he leads us to bring our first fruits and our alms and reminds us to not worry. We have a God who will take care of us. I want to give you a tangible example of this that's close to my heart. Our Chopra Church Partnership, which some of you have have heard about. A group of us visited India last January, and upon returning home, we knew that God was calling us to go deeper in, in, in our partnership with them and to stretch this church to think about how we might come alongside them. So we prayed uh, about our friends in Chopra, a small village with limited income and, and resources where God was clearly at work doing amazing, amazing work amongst the people. So we prayed, and God, over time, confirmed our, his desire for, for our church to partner with them in the building of a school and a sanctuary for a rapidly growing church, a church that began with just a couple dozen people and now has grown to over 1,700 people in this small tribe. And God has provided in some really cool ways. We're nearly halfway to our goal of just short of $300,000 for this project. And our friends in Chopra are already in the process of purchasing land for this project. So the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to make this project a little more visible to people in this church. And Pastor Joy invited several people from our India team to, to join the children downstairs for Sunday Kids Camp a few weeks ago. They shared about Chopra, what it's like, what the needs are, how the church is, is growing exponentially, and how God is doing an incredible work. And then the kids, uh, after hearing this, they, 
they created these Chopra canisters to collect change and to, and to bring back to church at the end of this month so that these monies can be sent to India. We had no, you, you don't always know if the kids are really picking up on, the, on the, the magnitude of a project like this, but what a lesson that we should never, ever doubt our kids, right? Never, ever doubt children in the church. Within days, we started hearing stories of kids who were emptying their piggy banks, who were rummaging through junk drawers for anything they could find, who were stuffing canisters with, with $20 bills and telling their parents things like, I don't need this money as much as the people in Chopra need this money. Or this money is for that new church. Now, do these kids get it or what? <laughs> do you see what they're doing? They're living out Luke 12. They're giving of their first fruits. They're giving alms. And by doing so, what are they doing? They are placing their treasure in Jesus rather than their piggy banks. They are sensing that the harvest is ripe over in India, in, in Chopra, with the Parwa tribe people, and they are responding with their very best. What a beautiful image. So this morning, I want to invite you to follow their lead. We're going to continue this conversation on God and money next Sunday. But in the meantime, in the week ahead, I want you to spend some time asking yourself, am I heeding Jesus' words about money? If you're married, I want you to talk about it with your spouse. Um, if you're not married, I want you to talk about it with, with a friend. Speak candidly about it. Are your finances placed under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Do you worry about them? Do you obsess about money, whether you have it or you don't have it? Well then, are you giving God your first fruits? Are you giving to him your alms? Our children here in this church are doing that. So I'm, I'm content to let them lead the way. <laughs> so I want to end this morning by just inviting you to ponder your current level of worry. Do you love money too much? Have you made money your master rather than Jesus? And if so, I want to give you a minute just to consider what your first fruit offering might be like. This is the, this is the solution that Jesus himself provides to the worry that we so often have around money. The problem of money is worry, and Jesus says, give of your first fruits, give of your own. So I want to give you a moment, just in the silence of this place, to pray. Maybe you want to write some thoughts down for you, or simply listen for God's leading as you place this area of our life where we can so often be consumed and worry under the lordship of Jesus. Let's take a few minutes of silence.